Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. When Netflix first began making original films, it was something of a revelation to the film industry. They were kind of the best things out there at the time. And then they kept making movies, and a lot of them were weird and terrible and aimed at special niches that were very strange. So at this point, I don't know what I'm trying to say because Netflix movies are just there. There's good ones and there's terrible ones. The Open House was a Netflix original, I believe, which we gave a zero rating to with good reason. And now we watched... In the Tall Grass, a Netflix original based on a story written by Stephen King and his son, Joe Hill. That is the movie that we watched. Are you sure? Well, in this timeline, yes. I was going to say we normally start with a synopsis of the film, and I don't think that will help anybody at this point. <laughs> I think it would take like the, the whole 40 minutes or 30 minutes that we usually record in order to give a summary of what happens in this movie. I think the gist of it is that there is a field of tall grass, it lures people in, and it is not really grounded in the whole space-time continuum. Yeah, it's a mess in there. But why? And what is happening? And any other similar questions? Uh, I don't know that I have answers for that. There, There is a rock. There's a big rock. Yeah, so there's grass and a rock. The rock is in, in the center of the grass or, or, I don't know, surrounded by grass. I don't yeah. know how, where it is in relation to the center. I don't center. think that is a valid question. Um, although center is important because it turns sure. out that this field is located in the center of the center, which is one of the things that Ross said. One of those centers being the geographical center of the United States, yeah. uh, the contiguous United yeah, States, I'm, I assume. I'm hoping he meant the continent. Yeah. That's more meaningful. Um, which I believe would place it somewhere near Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, very smartly. I know Nebraska is the center of the continental United States. I'm not entirely certain that it's Omaha. I think I'm basing that off of a um, Counting Crows song. Didn't they mention Nebraska like at that point in the movie? Or was that you talking? <laughs> no, there was. I mentioned it at that point. <laughs> Earlier, Cal shouts at the kid, at Tobin, when he thinks that Tobin is walking away from him and he says something about it sounds like you're heading for maybe he said nebraska then so maybe this wasn't nebraska i think he did well here's a twist at the end of the movie they said hey we should turn around and go back to topeka which was back a little ways that doesn't sound like nebraska to me so maybe they're in kansas i guess or maybe they're not anymore (laughs) maybe not I don't know. It's it's not clear. The one thing that frustrates me is that, yes, Kansas, Nebraska, both I would accept as having large fields of tall grass. 
Okay. The problem is sometimes this tall grass is tall grass height, like, you know, yeah. about six feet, seven feet tall, tall enough that a an adult human would have a hard time looking over it. They, yes. they, but they could jump and see over it, right? Yes, so not could. that tall. That happened. And then, particularly at night, the tall grass suddenly towers over them like jungle foliage. Like like yeah. it's twice as tall as they are. I don't feel like that's a problem, really, for the story they're telling. Well, I don't think... No, I don't... I think it was intentional. I don't think it was a, a, a goof in the movie making. I think they did it on purpose. But um, it makes it so that I, I have a hard time placing this field. Well, that's kind of the whole thing. It's either somewhere in middle America, as the Counting Crows would say, or perhaps somewhere in Africa. Yeah, actually, early on, you know, somebody heads into the field. I keep I keep wanting to say into the corn because that's this mm-hmm. is this is a cornfield. It's just grass instead of corn. I almost wrote corn several times in my yeah. notes. So somebody heads into it and things sort of transition a bit as they take steps and get into muddier stuff. Something was brought to mind from a past movie, and I want to say it's House, which is not the TV series, but a movie about a guy who has a haunted house where he like walks into a closet or something and ends up in Vietnam in a flashback to the mm. Vietnam War. And that's what it felt like. It was like, oh, he's stepping into, you know, Vietnam jungle. It makes me think of that, um, the one story in Ray Bradbury's The Illustrated Man, mm. um, What's it called? The Velt, where it's the house, like the special smart house and the kids, it can change where they are. It can like create, it's like a holodeck basically. Yeah. And um, the kids like tinker with it because they don't ever want to leave it. And then their parents get eaten by lions. Oh, that Um, happens. But it's, it's that same sort of idea that, you know, you're in a house, you're in a safe place, and then you take a step and suddenly you're out in the wilderness somewhere. Yeah. And that's kind of how it was. So, um, what happened? Well, in a nutshell, Travis is looking for his pregnant girlfriend, Becky, and her brother, Cal. He ends up stopping by this church where he sees their car. Uh, he goes into a field to look for them. He gets lost. He calls to Tobin, their dog, his dog, Freddie, his parents, Natalie and Ross, who go in looking for Travis. They all get lost. <laughs> Tobin calls to Becky and Cal, who have stopped because Becky is feeling sick to her stomach. Mm -hmm. Tobin calls them. Becky and Cal go in trying to save this child that they hear. They get lost. Travis goes looking for Becky and Cal because they've gone missing, and so on and so forth. And Travis gets Tobin out of the field, and he goes and stops Becky and Cal from getting into the field. Yes, in the middle of all that is madness, where people are chasing people and different people are killing other people, and then but that's those people okay. are alive, and then they're not, and then they're here and there, and the dog is alive, and the dog is not, and Schrodinger. It's madness in between, but essentially that's what happens. I'm just going to go straight to like go anywhere. The real specific. issue of this movie that I have, I have always liked Stephen King's brand of horror uh-huh. because it always contains some kind of message about humanity, right? There's always people and those people are dealing with things and somehow the things they're dealing with relate to the horrors that they experience. It's character-driven storytelling, right? Very character-driven, yes. I don't see that here. Like, there's hints at it 
And people keep, like, Ross at one point says, we all have things we're dealing with in here. Yeah, he said it, but it and was then not it, true. in no way do we address any of the things that the people are dealing with. And we don't make good, strong connections between what they're dealing with and what's going on with them. Yeah, I, I like probably most people who saw this movie, didn't understand this movie. But it's so different than, like, Tigers Are Not Afraid, I'd say I understood 60 or 70% of. But what I didn't understand, I didn't understand because it was artistic and it was, they had done a lot of deep meaning. Here, this, I don't think this is an artsy movie at all. This Mm -hmm. is just a fun movie. Mm -hmm. But I didn't understand it because it's, it's not because it's too convoluted, which it is, but it's because they... The person writing it had all these ideas of what was happening that are not clear. Enough. And they're not cohesive. There was no cohesiveness to the emotional play of the story. The the timing of it, and like like there's lots of chaos of people coming and going and living and dying and interacting sure. with different time and space. I followed all of that. Like that was, was okay done really that. well. But at the end, when I'm thinking to myself, okay, what was I supposed to take away from this movie? Like I really sat and thought about it. I'm like, okay, what is the emotional takeaway here? The two things that I came up with were don't have an abortion or give your baby up for adoption. <laughs> Keep it. Okay. Take care of it yourself. Sure. Which eh, I don't know that I necessarily, I mean, yes, in some situations, but let's maybe not make that a blanket statement by The Rock. I don't know. And the other one was that, yeah, your brother probably creepy loves you a little more than he should, yeah. but it's okay. Yeah. You know what's funny is when this movie started, they didn't express who these characters were as they were driving. And I was like, is that her boyfriend or her boyfriend slash husband or her brother? Right. And I, it really, like normally when you see a scene like that of a guy and a girl of adult age driving together, you think they're a couple. Mm-hmm. And they made it not feel that way to the point where I was like, maybe that's her brother, but I'm not even sure why, because it he was creepily not totally her brother. Yes. And I liked that at the beginning because mm-hmm. I liked that it was kind of setting up. Like I got that vibe and I was like, oh, he's not all right there. Like there's something going on with this brother character and I'm not going to be on his side for this whole movie, I don't think. And I think they, they established that well because there was a part of me that was like, all right, what, well, you know, just stop being weird. Like it's just her brother. <laughs> but then that came to fruition. That was fine. It was intense and creepy, and I can see why certain... Not everybody's going to want to watch this movie for Uh a variety of reasons, I think. But then nothing came of it. He does terrible things. Or was it him? Or was it maybe Ross? And she was just imagining that it was her brother at that point when the unspeakable was happening. What I think is that it was him, the him that touched the rock way back at the beginning of the movie. Yep. Yep. Because he was very rock-like at that point. Yep. So at a certain point in this movie, her brother is feeding her her infant baby. That's the level that this movie goes to, you guys. It's bananas. It is bananas. But then at the end, they end up not going in and Tobin, yeah, Tobin stops them from going into the cornfield and they go home. And like, we're just supposed to be okay with the fact that she's heading home with her brother who we now know loves her a little too much. 
But she is actually going home to Travis, though. So that should be good. He The same Travis her brother accidentally dropped off of a building? Well, I'm imagining she's going to spend more time with Travis than with her brother. It's probably That was case. why her brother dropped her off the building and <laughs> fed her baby to her in the first place. Yeah. Like... He had some problems. I don't know. Like, none of that was resolved in any way. It's true. And that's what I'm saying about not understanding it. Like, I don't get what we're seeing here. Like, another thing, eventually it comes around, she's harassed by an army of grass-faced cultists. Their faces are actually grass. They're not, like, covered with grass. They are monster weird people. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's taken to the rock, she starts to give birth, and the ground opens up, and we see it's filled with either babies or people, I don't know, all screaming and dying. I mean, some people think babies are people. That's true. So <laughs> that's that's one point of view, I know. But yeah, I couldn't tell whether those were supposed to be adult figures or infant figures. Yeah, we were just zooming past them. Yeah. Like, I have no idea what that was about. Like, what was happening there? Also, never really addressed. We never find out where the rock comes from, what it really wants, other than it wants people. Apparently, they become its root system. I don't know what's going on there. I I suspect there was some idea of, you know, symbolic of something. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe people who have studied a lot of... Some kind of mythology or lore or something might understand this more. But to me, as as a (laughs) layperson, so to speak. (laughs) Non-geologist. Right. (laughs) It didn't give me enough information to be able to put all the pieces together. So I'm left with this messy pile of really, really horrific puzzle pieces. (laughs) Not going to feed you that pile. (laughs) No. Yeah. As it was going along... This is my kind of movie. Completely Mm -hmm. mysterious. You have no idea what's going on. Oh, and you love time travel stuff. And time travel. And you get pieces and you start to put things together. It just never finished with that process. No. And like it was going somewhere, I think, that it never ended up. Like when Ross murders his wife, Natalie, he's like, oh, don't worry, son, who's watching the murder happen. He's like, it's fine that you're seeing me do this. Our bodies are just grass anyway. All flesh. Is grass. Yes. There was a lot of very religious oh, speak yeah. from Ross about the the grass and the field and the rock. You know, yes, uh, he was the disciple of the rock. Oh yes, he was. He was definitely evangelizing the faith in this rock, this religion or what have you that was created around this rock. So I want to talk about the beings that you mentioned that came from yeah. the field and you know had the grass faces and whatnot. I want to give the benefit of the of the doubt and say that those are like alien monster kind of creatures. Okay. The thing is, the storytelling of it was really relying on some tribal driven fear. Like, I mean, I'm just going to call it what I feel like it is. It felt racist to me. It uh-huh. felt like whether it was African or Native American, there was some kind of like, ooh, these people are wearing loincloths and dancing yeah. around a rock and well, stealing your baby and chanting and ooh, isn't that scary? And when they first came out, I was like, oh, maybe these are some of the first people who ended up in this field a thousand years ago. Right. Which would have, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> would be still, a tribe of some kind. And if they were the victims of this rock, but they're not the mm-hmm. victims, 
they are the perpetrators of this fear and and this badness. Maybe that's because they touched the rock and now they work work for the rock. Well, I mean, it's is this all about Dwayne Johnson? (laughs) It it's likely that that's what was intended, but I feel like the whole thing is still like the fear of it was largely driven around this unknown cultural. Ooh, Mm -hmm. isn't this a scary kind of culture thing? And it it felt vaguely offensive to me. Yeah, I see that. The other piece that was fear driven was, ooh, this girl is pregnant. That's always the the horror movie trick. Brother is creepily wanting to have relations with her. And this strange man in the corn or in the he grass field the same, yeah. is also trying to sexually assault her. Like mm-hmm. again, it's oh well, we want to make these people afraid. I know. Let's take the female and put her in danger of sexual assault. Yeah, and that's so lazy. And it's so you know, I said in it chapter two, I had issues with how that was portrayed. Yeah, I gave him the benefit, him being Stephen King, the benefit of the doubt from writing it in the 80s before we really, you know, started to call out our fiction for using assaulting women as such a lazy trope. But this is not from the 1980s. It is not. It's much more recent. And I feel like he's still relying on that. And now his son is also still relying on that as a storytelling form and that bothers me and i sort of feel like that might be why i haven't read as much stephen king in the last probably 10 years i don't know if that's i mean i have read it all and i feel like it's not full of that it's not all but a lot of it you know the last time i really read a lot of stephen king was dolores claiborne and rose matter and gerald's game duma key i think had some assault in it maybe there was the um What was the one with the... I'm going to give a really uh, helpful clue. It was in Maine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The one in Maine. (laughs) It was something about... there, there was a thing about the promenade and they and kept ending up walking on the promenade in various different times. I can't remember what that one's called. I feel like I went through a whole bunch of them where it's like, oh, it's these female characters being put in sexual danger and... I think I just got was over it, and now I'm I don't even try to read them because I'm like, eh, it's just gonna be more of the same, even if it hasn't mm, been. I don't know. The only one I can remember from recent times is Doctor Sleep, which I don't think has anything like that in it. Mm. But I don't. Remember. Well, I think I read Buick Eight, and I, I don't think that had anything. I don't know this story in particular, the way it was told, whether it was the story itself or the movie, it relied much too heavily on who is going to inappropriately touch this girl. I mean, I'm wondering if that's an important part of this whole thing, because it was clearly about cycles of rebirth and whatnot. And we're all grass and we come from the grass and into the grass we go and a baby is a thing there. And the questions of her, like, is she going to keep the baby? Is she going to abort the baby? Is she going to give the baby away for Mm -hmm. adoption in San Diego? Like, I don't know. But it didn't tie it together in in any way that I could recognize. Like, I don't... I I don't know what they were trying to get us to think about any of those things. And it's not that I want the movie to tell me what to think about those things, (laughs) but I'd sort of like to know what the movie thinks so that I can decide whether I agree with it or not and and like toy with it. And maybe the movie makes me think new things. But in this case, it just makes me think, what the what? Yeah. Speaking of thinking that, you know, all the chanting that was going on at the end of the movie. Yeah. I want to put a clip of it 
right here. I swear that chant is saying King Donkey Kong. <laughs> King Donkey Kong. King Donkey Kong. <laughs> I didn't hear that, but I heard it as chanting. I didn't really try <laughs> to listen to what it was saying. Maybe it is. It is possible that that rock was actually a Donkey Kong arcade machine that had been out there so long that it kind of accreted matter around it becoming looking like a rock because it was kind of weird shaped it had interesting designs on it too like the texture of it sort of felt like it was based on like the texture of an elephant's skin i was thinking at some point i'm like is that actually an elephant or an animal that's gonna like get up it's yeah interesting. I, and it wasn't i mean i think it was just that that's you know whoever was designing that rock element of this set was inspired by speaking of this set Yes. I feel like I want to hear the behind the scenes stories of when people were like, yeah, we got lost out there and we had to yell and we had to jump and wave our hands in the air and find our way back because that happened. You would think. Or stories of like, oh, yeah, no, that field was just like, yeah, you know, was... four feet square and, uh, <laughs> and it's all CGI. <laughs> that's just us running in circles, looping through it over and over again. Yeah, I, um, I want to hear those stories, whatever they are. Yeah, I bet it was interesting, especially for that kid who, even when the grass was the shortest it was, <laughs> was way shorter than the grass. Yeah. Speaking of the kid, I liked him. I liked his acting. He was suitably creepy, but then also vulnerable, and it was believable when he kind of went back and forth. And now that you mentioned that, that makes me think of how, you know, we had all these time loops and different alternate times basically is what it was like there were multiple possible outcomes but they all happened or something like that and i feel like that in itself wasn't even resolved like we didn't close all the loops and there mm -hmm. were just open possibilities of like cal touched the rock that kid touched the rock and became some he wasn't like his dad but he was like "Ooh, let's all go touch the rock and we'll do this i mean what was that? Where does that go? I guess right. It's just and why a possibility. are you showing it to us if if it never comes up again? Like I kept waiting uh -huh. for the kid to be creepy and dangerous later, or and he never was to go and touch the rock in order to become the creepy kid he was at the beginning. You know, right? Something to right. set up the loop. Oh yeah, I thought at one point when his dad like had picked him up, I thought his dad was gonna yeah make him touch it and that was going to be when he turned or something i think the idea was just that like that they were cycling through all of these things like that everything yeah. that could happen had happened they didn't you know what it really reminds me of especially ross is strangling cal uh -huh. and it pans back and we see five yeah we see like five versions yeah all these older like decaying to different degrees so we know they're further and further in the past these other bodies of cal that he's killed previously and he's like oh you could have done this or that or the other and you did you did everything and i killed you no matter what so you're dead that was interesting totally a shows me he's way better at strangling than michael myers and <laughs> true story completely bloodless death scene that looks aggressive and Mm -hmm. dangerous unlike mm -hmm. everything michael myers did and two reminds me very much of the movie triangle with the bodies of oh, all the yeah. past which did it really well yeah and made sense and it all looped around and made uh -huh. it worked and here it's like why are there only five bodies there's an infinite number of possibilities here and right. 
like, why don't we pan back to a mountain of these bodies? And that would be weird. And that doesn't make sense either because they're all separate realities. So, like, there wasn't a reality where he was on top of a pile of bodies strangling this guy. So, how are they all there, even with five of them? So, that's one of the big flaws. And, I, you know, I want to say there are there's no way to tackle a time travel or, like, sloppy temporal mm-hmm. foundation kind of movie, right? Because this wasn't really time travel. It was just no. alternate realities and temporal drift, right? Yeah. There was time mix-ups as well as just multiple possibilities because Travis got there long after them and arrived before them. Right. It was just like in this field, time does not work in a linear sense. Like I don't think it was so much time travel as it's that idea that, that all time exists all the time and we just experience it in a sequential order, right? And their sequential order was all haywire. Yes. But if you're going to express the idea that an infinite number of possibilities have happened and they've all resulted in this same ending, like you said, we have to see that an infinite number (laughs) of them happened. Like you have to have the really crazy one where lightning strikes and the field burns down (laughs) and there's a body or, you know, a pile of bodies or there just has to be some of the weirder off the wall possibilities otherwise it's there it, not an infinite number there's like four choices you <laughs> you run straight ahead you run and turn right you run and turn left you don't run like yeah that's it Which I guess explains <laughs> the exact number of bodies he had there sure <laughs> I, I don't know it was yeah it, it was like going ooh, there's an infinite number of possibilities <laughs> and then not putting any effort into coming up with any of the less common ideas and not coming yeah. up with anything that other people weren't also coming up with it just again feels a little lazy yeah i love stephen king when people ask me who my favorite author is he is near the top of the list i really really like reading a lot of his books okay so when i say this this is not to say he doesn't do anything right but i gotta think that if you are stephen king and you have been successful to the level that he's been successful there comes a point where you're like, I could scribble on the uh-huh. page with a crayon and people would publish it and say yeah. good things about it. And if you are the son of Stephen King, oh yes, you know, you grow up thinking, well, writing is easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I assume that's not exactly the truth. Like, I know it's more complex than that, but you have to think that somebody who has grown up in the shadow of Stephen King's success doesn't truly understand how hard it is to become published and how yeah. hard it is to write something that other people want to read. It's all in who you know. Right? I'm sure Owen King and Joe Hill are great writers in their own regard. I'm sure they've worked hard. It's not to take away from that, but there's a certain amount of privilege that comes from growing up in the King household. This is an amazing example of privilege right there. Like in the world, there are millions of people who try to write stories Mm -hmm. and want to sell them. And lots of them are good. There, you know, there's a bell curve of quality there, but the people who get published are like scattered points all over this bell curve. You know, some of them are terrible and they still get published. 
and it's pure luck or it's being the son of Stephen King where like it doesn't matter if you're good or not someone's going to be like I'm publishing the story of the son of Stephen King money in the bank even I even had this thought and again Joe Hill I'm sure you're a fabulous writer and have put a lot of effort into it. And it's not to say that you are not working hard, okay? But this story wasn't published as a Joe Hill story. True. This story was published as a Stephen King and Joe Hill story. Yeah. And I don't know the the truth of how it got written, so who knows? And I feel like there was a case of that. There's a Stephen King and Owen King story as well, right? I think right? so, yeah. I mean... <sighs> oh, yeah. I think it's on our shelf. And and that's not to say that they're not contributing. I'm sure they are. But in the real world, it, you know, nepotism is a thing. It's and for sure. who you know is important. I mean, even I benefited from it when I was teaching and I had been subbing within a classroom. And so I had developed a relationship with this teacher and her husband, who was also a teacher. I ended up getting a, a good job strictly because I somehow accidentally came across these two and made friends with them. Like, that's what launched my teaching career. That is why I became, you know, why I got my first teaching job was because of this relationship that I had. And that's kind of, it's what moves the world along. And I think we have to be careful about not recognizing where that privilege and special treatment benefits us in our lives, because everyone has it at some point. Yeah. Yeah, you talked about the published authors being dotted all across, all around the bell curve. There's something to be said when there are four published authors that came <laughs> out of the house where Stephen King raised his children. Yeah, that is interesting. There might even be more. Don't they have other kids? I don't know, but I do know, you know, Stephen King, Tabitha, Tabitha. King is a published author, Owen King, and Joe Hill. I mean, that right there. Amazing that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Similar to the pile of bodies situation, we have the the cars piled up at the church outside, which was a cool thing, except there were like 12 of them. And like, okay, that's it? Yeah, that was one of the things. So one of the things I like about time travel or temporal disturbance movies mm-hmm. is looking for those like place markers, those things that you get to use throughout the movie to help you you place yourself. Like, oh, yeah. this happened before that. This, you know, what the, yeah. what the timeline really is. So I was kind of marking down the different things that were going to be used as place markers. There was the mud. People kept walking through it and you would know, oh, they're in the same spot, you know, yeah. or I think you were kind of supposed to think that. There was the dog where we saw it first, you know, the the body of the dog with the name tag. And I was like, oh, we're definitely going to see that yeah. dog running around at some point. There was the dead bird. There was the fanny pack. There was the book that Becky dropped. Yes. But the one that was the most obvious and was the most different in different places was that church parking lot. Yeah. And when we first saw Ross and his family... I was like, he seems like a 50s kind of guy. And I'm like, these people have been in there since the 50s. Mm. But it turned out they were from like the same time frame as the other people. And all the cars in the parking lot were modern. And I'm like, "Ah, that's not as exciting as it could be. Were they from the same time period? Or something modern. Like their car was nothing, you know, nothing old. Maybe something from the 80s, though. It, it was like a be, van. But it wasn't. No, we had a van in the 80s. That was at least a 90s van. 
<laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> but the not all the cars were modern in that parking lot. There during a couple of the shots, there were some old like fifties style, oh. like okay. you know, well, cool tail fins that. and stuff. Yeah, I like um, that. Yeah, but where were those people? Why know. did we not come across any of those people? Voices on the wind that we encountered. Maybe they were the bodies under the rock. Yeah, does that is that where you end up after too many times around? I don't know. None of the people in this story ended up down there. No. For any reason or even, you know, like they didn't even try to suck her in. I for a while I was like, "Oh, you know, the sinkhole has opened up, you know, yeah. the rock is trying to swallow her." No, it really wasn't. Oh, it was just trying to be like, "Look at my bodies." <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I don't want to get too down on the pile of bodies or the cars in the parking lot because I do really like when they show, you know, just like it's artistic license. You see five different bodies and that's that's cool. It's like it's fun. Yeah, that's not actually something that bothered me. Well, no, the way it was shown was great. I liked that. I liked Mm -hmm. especially that last skeleton was like sort of half sunk into the ground and had grass growing up out of it. So there were an infinite number. They just... We're further down in the oh, ground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. I don't know. <laughs> Ratings. I wanted to like this movie a lot. I liked what I was seeing in the trailer. I tend to... I know people don't like Stephen King adaptations for movies. They've historically not been done well. It happens a lot. But even the ones that aren't done well, I tend to like because I like <laughs> the stories that he tells, right? Yeah. So I really went into this assuming I was going to end up rating it highly because it had good production values. It just looked like it was going to be good. And it did have good production values. It just wasn't that good. I just was very disappointed in the way they didn't really wrap everything up. I mean, it didn't have a giant spider at the ending. (laughs) I will give it that. But it also just didn't tie up all the loose ends. I feel like if this story were a tapestry, it would have lots of extra strings hanging out in all different directions. And what pieces were tied up were tied up in ways that left me thinking, well, I don't like this story at all. You know, (laughs) the whole, it really gave me a vibe of like adoption and abortion are lesser choices than just taking care of your own kid. Okay, for some people that might be true, but that's not a blanket statement that we can be making. And this didn't leave a lot of room for option, I don't think. And I'm really, really disturbed by the, you know, we're just going to let her go off with her creepy brother and not (laughs) have any, like, she didn't learn anything from this process. Yeah, because she never experienced the process. Right, she sidestepped the whole thing. And that, maybe that's what it is that upsets me, is that they went through all of these things and nothing changed. There was no arc to the learning process here. In the future, when they're at home with their new son, Tobin, he right. can explain to them everything he learned, and then they can learn from that. Hi. He'll be like, that dude, creepy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the weird kid they found on the side of the road isn't going to be the <laughs> most trustworthy being they've ever Especially come across. Especially he talks about a magic rock. <laughs> right, and how they died several times. <laughs> yeah. And and the the boyfriend who never left town, is still out in the field because he sacrificed himself so that the kid could save them. Like, none of that is going to make sense to these people who didn't experience it. True. So again, there's another, like, that's a loose end, sloppy storyline. So I am afraid I'm going to give this two and a half 
subterranean corpses out of five. Huh. Yeah. Well, you know, I had a lot of the same feeling as you did, which is that, you know what, it's kind of like the open house. It felt like a really good movie. It went along feeling good and seeming like it was going somewhere Mm -hmm. that was working out. And to its credit, at the end, it didn't just have a serial killer go to a new house. (laughs) That's true. No, (laughs) it just turned out that they didn't experience any of this and they all went home. It was all a dream. (laughs) It's all a dream, except now we have this like weird eight-year-old <laughs> kid. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that same thing where it's all great, and it feels like it's putting this mystery together and giving you pieces and pieces until the end where it just craps out is what happens. King Donkey Kong did not succeed. <laughs> so It did not. It feels like I'm dumb. I I know I've passed by videos on YouTube about explains the ending of what did it all mean in the tall grass movie. I'm like, I should probably watch those movies now. But maybe we should have done that before we spent this (laughs) lengthy amount of time talking about how we didn't understand it. Eh. But that's not how we do things and around that's here. Not appropriate because this is our take on the movie. This is how we felt about it. If someone else has an explanation, well, that's just their explanation. It doesn't mean it's real. They can do their <laughs> own podcast. Yeah, that's for our YouTube video that I might check out after this. Okay. But I'm just going to go and I'm going to give it the two and a half subterranean corpses out of five that you did. I wanted to do three. But, you know, it just didn't. Why waste your time? Yeah, it's it's too bad. I, I liked your comparison to Open House because it's it does it. I was I was on board with this movie until probably the last quarter of it. Yeah. And I started to realize, oh, they don't have enough time to figure this all out. They, they're <laughs> not going to wrap this up. This is not going to be explained in a way that makes sense. And I, feel like I really always have. feel betrayed by that. I don't yeah. like it. All right. Well, that seems like a pretty resounding meh about this one. Good Unfortunately. Meh. Yeah. All right. We'll be back again tomorrow with another one. Yeah. Or did we already come back again with another one tomorrow? <gasps> <laughs> There is a tradition, even a, I don't know, um, sometimes, no, when Netflix, don't be laughing when I'm trying to talk. It's bananas. It is bananas.